just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? It's Monday night. It's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and normally we have a little back-and-forth spiel here at the beginning of the show, but Ira, we can't do that today because we've got a great guest, a returning friend of Ira on Sports. It's Gary Stevens. So tell us a little bit about him before we bring him in. Um, Gary's a uh, world, you know, Hall of Fame jockey. Yeah. It's won the Kentucky Derby, Preakness, each, and Belmont each three times, and the Breeders' Cup. He's won 11 Breeders' Cup races. <laughs> so pretty qualified to yes. speak on a race we have coming up in a week. Gary, welcome to Ira on Sports. Uh, thanks, Aaron. Uh, good to be here pretty excited right now i can't believe that we're actually running the breeders cup uh just watched the draw uh we've got horses from japan from ireland england france coming over to run and uh, i know it's been difficult for everybody to arrange things but everybody's showing up and uh, it's pretty exciting Yes, I mean, that's what, when I was thinking about, like, you know, this, the Breeders' Cup just comes up on us. You know, we're middle of football and baseball and basketball, and suddenly now we have the Breeders' Cup. And you look at the field, and you look at the horses that were, like, the, the Belmont winner this year, Tis the Law, Derby winner, Authentic. Uh, last year, Maximum Security that was disqualified in the Kentucky Derby and Probable. Like, you have a mix of the horses you know now, last year's horses, plus some very experienced great horses. It's one of the great, best fields you could imagine. It's probably one of the best uh, betting races if uh, you like to have a play out there uh, in all the Breeders' Cup Classics that I've seen since the first one in 1984 when this all started up. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot was laying, I, I think, in my mind of where the horses drew and uh, in, in post position. Tizala, he drew down in the two-hole. And a lot of people say, well, he can save ground. But uh, anyone who's been watching or knows, they know that uh, Barkley Tag likes to have Tiz Law on the outside. Uh, he's got a couple of speed horses outside of him. And then the, the Baffert trio of Authentic and Probable and Maximum Security, uh, they've drawn the three outside spots. And anytime I've I've ridden multiple horses or, or in, in a race with a Wayne Lucas or Bob Baffert or whatever where they've got multiple horses. There are meetings uh, in, the, in the office about what the strategy is going to be according to, to what the break, how they break out of the stalls at the start of the race. So uh, I'm, giving, I'm giving advantage to uh, Improbable. I think he got a great draw uh, in the eight uh, – Eight post position. He's been a little nasty in the starting gate. He settles down after he's been in there a little while. Uh, and he's going to get two more horses to the outside of him in Authentic and then Maximum Security, who all three have very similar racing styles, as does Tis the Law. So Manny Franco is going to have to work things out from that two-post position. <laughs> well, it is pretty crazy to have Baffert to have three of the top, I guess, like five favorites in the race in Authentic, who won the Derby last year, or this past year, and Max McCurdy the two years ago, and then Improbable. So, But that's interesting. You're saying that there is this, you know, they, they do plan it out. Now, you said you plan how you break. Do they actually plan how they're going to run the races, or is that sort of left up to the jockey to handle? Um, and, and how do the different owners feel like I know that Baffert trains them. There's different owners. How do the owners work with that in terms of, uh, you know, coordinating that? Look, it, it's everybody for themselves, and that's what the discussions are about uh, pre-race. And and as soon as I was listening to the draw and where everyone uh, drew, this is what I did for years. 
you start running the race in your mind immediately. And I know that uh, the three guys on the outside, uh, authentic and probable and maximum security, have to be smiling right now. Johnny Velasquez and and uh, the boys, you know, they're they're like, wow, we've got an advantage right here. And so what happens is, look, ride your own horse, but don't kill each other. Whoever breaks best, let them go. Uh, we all know that improbable. Uh, he likes to kind of be left alone on the outside, maximum security. He can do about anything. He's not going to be up on the lead. He's already proved he can come from off the pace. And so he doesn't need the, need the lead. And the same with authentic. Um, tis the law. His, his downfall, I think, as far as strategy, is that, you know, the connections insist that this horse is on the outside. And with him drawing down inside, they can box him in. They can play games uh, throughout the race. And that's all perfectly legal as long as you don't break the rules <laughs> doing it. But, you know, it, it's a bit like, uh, you know, a NASCAR race. If, if you can keep somebody locked in, you do it. And uh, so... Anyway, that's uh, I, I thought it was a very lucky uh, sort of you know random draw. These these draws for post position are ramble uh, are random, and um, I thought Bob Baffert uh, with his trio was uh, pretty lucky with the draw. Right. I mean, that's what's interesting. There's ten horses in the field, and all of them have a very good chance. It's not one of those races where you have like a 70 to 80 to 1 shot that's going to win it. I mean, every one of these horses is capable of, of, of winning it. Um, a horse that people who follow the, the Triple Crown can't follow, what someone who follows racing knows, but Tom's a Todd is 6 to 1. Um, but some people uh, who aren't following it, they don't... Price. What? Great price. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's no go ahead. I'm sorry if you can hear dogs barking in the background. <laughs> I'm sitting outside right now, but I, I apologize for that uh, yapper. But uh, no, uh, Tom Scott had an unbelievable workout uh, two weeks ago with the Easy Breeze coming in, and uh, that's a that's a huge price on him. Yeah, well, tell us a little about the horse. I mean, it's, it's I think it's like seven years old. So, like, what? Ha- why was it a late bloomer? What happened? And why? And what's how successful has it been the last two years in terms of Tom's the time? Well, well, his trainer first of all is uh, one of the most outstall. Uh, I, I really think, and I don't know if he ever will be, but I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the most. Uh, patient trainers that I've ever seen, uh, a lot like Charlie Whittingham, the great Charlie Whittingham, was uh, the horse had uh, foot issues. Um, you know, he, he had soft feet, and uh, it's it would be like having a Ferrari that uh, has bad tires. You can't <laughs> go that fast, or you're going to blow a tire. And he's been really patient with him. He's seven years old now. He's coming to his own, and... Uh, he is really coming to his own, and and I'm glad you mentioned him because if there's going to be an upsetter, or if these guys start to play games up front, you know, locking horns with Pizzola, authentic and probable maximum security, and they move early, then then Tom Sitton is a horse that can come and pick up the pieces. So, but like I said, it, it's a great betting race, and he's not the only one in there that can pick up the pieces. But I, you know, to me. His lie, I've, I've turned into a huge fan of his, and his only two defeats came at Churchill Downs, and it can be a tricky 
uh, surface there. Horses either like it or they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's only two defeats came there. So uh, Keeneland is a completely different surface than what Churchill Downs is, no matter what they say. I've ridden on both of them. I know them both well. And, um, you know, Barkley Tag took him in early to get him prepared for the Classic. And and he said, uh, you know, one average work, one outstanding work uh, two days ago. And he's sitting on go, but I, I don't like his I don't like his draw at all. <laughs> well, tell us a little about Keeneland. I know it's one of those tracks that you, know, you see it, you know, you know, on TV and run. But I've never been to Keeneland. I've been to a lot of the most of the other big tracks. But uh, tell us a little about that track in, in terms of what it is and what makes it such a special. Because as I hear a lot of people, like you said, they love this track so much. Well, as, uh, first of all, it, it's the breeding capital for thoroughbreds. Uh, of the world, the best horses uh, come out of out of Lexington, Kentucky, and it sits on a sort of a, a hillside. It's rolling hills and just a gorgeous uh, property. They never even had an announcer until I believe uh, <laughs> eight years ago uh, when Kurt Becker started announcing. It may have been longer than that. Don't well, everybody's going to quote me on it right now. That's listening, but. It's been several years since uh, they ever had an announcer, and and you're in the breeding capital of, of the world with uh, Claiborne Farm, uh, Lane's Inn, Coolmore. So, I mean, you can go on and on about the major breeding farms and the great stallions that have stood to breed more and more of these uh, good racehorses. So, um, you feel like you're in the country when you are there, and the... The employees are, I mean, you know that you are in the South when you go. It's, it's just, it, when I say that, you know you're in the South because they are so generous and, and so hospitable when you go in there. And it's uh, everything is immaculate, and it's just a beautiful setting. And you know that you're you're somewhere special when you are there. Well, I got to go there. That's going to be, I would love to, to, to catch a race at card one day. Um, so so let's, we have Gary Stevens, Hall of Fame jockey, who's won 11 Breeders' Cup races and plus the nine Triple Crown races. So what are you thinking? What is your, what is your picks for, for the Classic on, I think, Saturday? It's at 6 o'clock. Well, when I looked at the, at the draw, unless, unless Manny Franco can really figure something out uh, of how to extricate uh, Tizalaw from, from his number two post position, he doesn't need the lead. But he, he always breaks well from the starting gate, forwardly placed. And I think it's going to put him in a bad position going into the first turn. And uh, like I said, they, everyone knows that uh, Barkley Tag wants him on the outside, and he is better on the outside. But to me, he's, he's the best horse in America, Tis the Liar. Uh, even though he got beat in, in the Kentucky Derby, I think he's the best horse out there right now. But I, he's going to be in a in a tough spot. I like him probable uh, in the classic, and I, I want to touch on real quick, if you guys don't mind, uh, the distaff um, with Swiss, Swiss Skydiver, who won the won the Preakness and beating out then at the Derby winner and um, Monomoy Girl. Uh, she was three year old champion, and and she's already won the distaff and. 
she missed all of last uh, 2019, came back. She's uh, undefeated this year. And to me, uh, it's going to be that. It's it's two races before the Classic. It's the Distaff. And, and to me, that's going to be the race of the day with uh, Swiss Skydiver and, and Monomoy Girl lining up. And I'm going to give the advantage to Monomoy Girl. It reminds me a lot of uh, Beholder and, and Songbird. Um, in 2013, um, you've got the old girl against the three-year-old, and I always give the advantage to the old, old girl. They're a little, little more uh, seasoned, a little more advanced, and again, post-position, uh, Swiss skydiver drew down in the two-hole. Monomoy girl drew 10 of 10. She can sit and stock, and um, so I, I'm, I'm super excited about seeing both of these uh the, the uh, female uh, classic and and uh, the Colts the Breeders' Cup classic. Yeah, Monomoy G- Girl is an eight to five, uh, the favorite, and Swiss Skydiver is two to one. So that's gonna be a great race, sort of like a match race. But but Gary, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. You're you're definitely great insight into the Breeders' Cup Classic, and on sa- it's Saturday six o'clock, I think on NBC, and it'll be exciting to watch. So uh, thanks, I really appreciate Gary. You've come on a bunch of times, and uh, your insight is tremendous. I right, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Nobody better uh, in the biz than Gary Stevens. We're lucky to get him uh, here on Iron Sports. We've got some pressing horse racing action, and I, I do agree with him. I think that this um, that this staff is going to be it's a clear two best female horses in the world, and we're going to get to see them in essentially a match race. We're excited about that. Might be able to make some money in that one too if you can get the uh, superlatives down. I mean the exotics down. Seven fifteen. Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Ira. I guess congratulations. You came in. You said that this was the Dodgers' year, and what I do you said know? this like when we started, well, like, before the season. Yeah, you said that if anyone beats the Dodgers, you were going to cut your toe off. You think this is how confident you were in the Dodgers? Well, I said Dave Roberts should be banned from baseball. Like he should be like <laughs> he should get the Pete Rose banishment if he cannot lead this team to. And they almost you know against the Braves are down three one. You'd said that about a month ago on the show. If this roster can't do it, then who can? And, and yeah, the coach would have had to have gone in that case. But let's go back. I mean, you remember 1988 when they had their last championship. <laughs> I was I was at Penn, University of Pennsylvania at school, and I had this TV, and we didn't even, I didn't have cable. And I've been at my, it's not a <laughs> like room. Bunny it was, it was, yeah, it was off campus apartment. <laughs> and when Kirk Gibson hit that home run, I mean, it was just nuts. I loved it. And Earl Horsizer pitching, and that was just a great game. I and mean, those Dodgers, that Dodger team uh, was just tremendous. But that, that was the Kirk Gibson home run. What a what a you know what a, her sizer was just I mean he was the anti Blake Snell he just pitched every game pitched uh, nine innings all those other things so it's a little bit different back then but you know the Dodgers went through that period of time where they were good in the nineties and they became they had that long period where they were terrible yeah. and then for the last eight years this dominance that they've had they um, first place and then you know Magic Johnson got involved with the team they got own, new owners the hedge fund guys took over so now they're spending sort of what the the Mets are doing but when Andrew Friedman it's very interesting that Friedman came from the Rays. He started this in, Rays, in 2014, yeah. and he comes over. And then 2014, then they, they had LDS. They lost. Manley gets fired, but then they lost the World Series to Houston, Boston, and then last year. And they, you know, the thing about the Dodgers is they really haven't. Besides bets, they're not a team.
team that's been signing free agents. I mean, this is all homegrown talent. This yeah. is this is uh, uh, just an amazing job. So, and, and Friedman, what he's done is it's like you're taking the smartest guy in baseball and giving him the most money, and that's why they're so good because you're giving someone who. And then when they had to be that, we we made fun of the Dodgers. Oh, I made fun of actually the Dodgers during the offseason. Like they're not signing any of these guys. They're not signing Rendon. They're not signing Garrett Cole. They're not signing any of these big players. But when they made that trade for Mookie Betts, when they saw the Red Sox, you know, just give him up, mm-hmm. that they they pounced on that. And what a smart move. And he, you know, just perfect compliment. And that I think that type of move was something that sort of the Dodgers. And I think what I'm gonna I said this earlier. What I think this year helped the Dodgers is that the last number of years, they've been up 20 games up in August. And I go to all these games, and they're up 20 games. They, they have this great regular season. And then they're like, oh, we got to get a rotation ready. we got to rest everybody. And then they play September like it's preseason or an exhibition yeah. season. And then it's too hard to get in. Now, because the season was so short, they were focused and ready to go. They won. They had the best record in baseball. And this is the one thing, you know, we talk about COVID and about, you know, they said, well, this, there'll be an asterisk on this season. Will there be some sort of asterisk? Well, look, the best team in basketball were the Lakers. Lakers, well, that second best record to the Bucks, but the, uh, the one of the top teams they won the number championship, one number one seed, and the Dodgers had the best record in baseball, and they won the World Series. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the Pirates somehow or someone <laughs> else came in. This was really, I mean, I'm not going to give an asterisk. I mean, clearly no. playing, and I think the fact that you had to play every day, you know, when they when they were weren't the visiting days and travel days and stuff like that, I do think that made it. It was more impressive. Even the Dodgers, you had to have a, a good pitching staff. You had to, you couldn't. Re- it was just amazing. And and so I. Look, the Dodgers, it was, a, it was a title. There's no asterisks at all. I don't put any asterisks on this title. I, I wouldn't. The only, and, and this is, I, I don't even know if I would in this case, say potentially the two number one seeds, the Dodgers and the Rays, both got knocked out at a best of three to start it off. That'd be a little different right, to me. Right, exactly. But exactly. this isn't. It's the best team, you know, went the distance. We saw the one versus the one. They won. Congrats to L.A. There's no asterisk um, for this for me. But uh, what about the MVP, Ira? Because... I feel like this could have went a lot of ways, and Mookie Betts, amazing player, but I don't know if if um, Mookie Betts probably should have got it over Seager, but you think Kurt Shaw probably should have been no, the pick I, over everybody. I was in shock. You know, when they when they went to the MVP, and everybody's worried about Justin Turner, he's out there, all the pictures with COVID yeah. and all whatever, but I was more focused, and that, of course, that's what Sports Talk Radio talked about for an entire week. You know, they let's talk about Justin Turner when he went on the field, and then they blamed, let me just segued a little bit for Turner for a second. They're blaming Major League Baseball. Look, they found out they had COVID in the eighth inning. They pulled him out of the game. They put him in a room, and they said, well, they should have got him out of the stadium or whatever, but how are they going to... Well, they, put, they go, put him in an Uber. I mean, like, they put him in an Uber. You know, I don't know how you're going to handle that, but the fact is, it's not... What are they going to do? Lock him in a room? Like, Turner... Supposedly, there were people. They said, you got to stay here. Turner decided to come out on the field and celebrate with the teams that he's been playing with the entire game. So whatever issue there was, yeah. it's not like there were other people. Not like fans rushed the field. Everybody who was there, was he just been playing the entire game with them so um i think it, of course talk radio talked about that you know they want turner banished for three years and two years and suspensions and games everything like that like I find him because he violated protocol like you should find someone but i don't think there should be mandatory suspensions but if you look at the dodgers seager turner muncie and Betts all had seven or eight hits had two home runs they all hit around 400 i mean turner hit 320 muncie at 318 Betts at 269 really of all the core six hitters smith and bellinger had a bad series 
But, you know, they all had the same. But but Kershaw had two starts, two wins, 11 innings, seven hits, three runs, 2.3 win ERA, 14 strikeouts. You won four games, and he won two of them. He's your superstar player. He's the heart and soul. He's when you think about Dodgers, you think of Clayton Kershaw. Why not give it to him? And do you think that Corey Seager is going to be like, oh, my gosh, this was terrible. I mean, I just don't. <laughs> like, I, I really question this because it's going to go down in history as Corey Seager, MVP of the World Series. And, like, man, he did not deserve I mean, he deserved it, but Kershaw should have been given this MVP. Listen, I, I think it could have went a lot of ways, but if you're thinking in that sense, like you, you made a good point. He won 50% of the games. So that's pretty important. Clayton Kershaw, I don't think he's upset either. <laughs> Just like you said, Seager wouldn't be, but it would have been nice to see, uh, you know, see the old veteran uh, grab this after so long. Let's talk about the other team for a minute. I, I think that everyone in the world thinks is calling for Kevin Cash's job, let alone Dave Roberts, because of he p- pulling Blake Snell. But you don't really agree with that, and there's some statistics to back this up. Well, I mean, we went through. I mean, first of all, um, Azarina Arozarena has a home run in the in the first inning. You know, in terms of uh, just getting that lead on for the Rays, and so there. Uh, and then it really let Snell settle down, and he was pitched. I mean, every inning, just he had at one point he had five innings pitched, one hit, no walks. Uh, no runs, of course, only through 69 pitches. And then in the top of the sixth, I mean, he, he, they, he, he popped, Hollock uh, popped up to the second base. Austin Barnes had a weak hit, and then they pulled him. And everyone went totally nuts. Like, here's this guy who's pitching great. He's got everybody struck out. The top uh, two hitters, three hitters in the Dodger lineup were all 0 for 6, you know, in terms of stri- with strikeouts mm-hmm. and everything. But Snell has been one of the worst. He, Snell has gone a major league record. 21 in current, 21 straight starts without completing six innings. So he never goes longer than six innings, including every outing this season. He's just the second starting pitchers in the past 20 postseasons to be pulled from a game when he had at least nine strikeouts before reaching 75 pitches. Sabathia in game five of the 2017 division series was pulled, but Sabathia at that time couldn't you know, pitch that much longer. <laughs> but, but the point is, they, he is terrible the third time through the lineup. What do you mean by the third time through the lineup? It's like Betts is up in the first inning, Betts is up in the third inning or whatever, and then Betts comes up in the sixth inning, and they're saying, okay, now he has him, and he's terrible, and his record has been that bad. And if you follow the Rays, Morton was taken out in game seven of against the Astros, and he had pitched like 65 innings, and he's more of experience than even Snell, and they pulled him. This is what the, this is what the Rays do. They pull. So everyone's like, you know, Cash should be fired. He's a terrible manager. I mean, everyone's texting me. I'm like, wait, have you watched the Rays? They do this all the time. They always pull their starters. They don't have their sparters go late. And I'll say this about Snell. We're not talking about Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling. We're not talking about all Roger Clemens. I mean, this is he's a good pitcher. He's, you know, he's great, but he's he's not a guy that I think should look like look at, you know, they were talking about Jack Morris. When Jack Morris won Minnesota when he pitched 10 innings mm-hmm. and he went the manager Tom Kelly went over to him just and he said he gave him a stare and says, "Don't even <laughs> think about it. I'm coming out for the 10th inning." Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think he's not that type of pitcher that can demand that and who hasn't pitched that long and they brought Anderson in who has been a, you know, they this is what the Rays do all the time. They use their bullpen, they bring relievers in and credit to the Dodgers, they hit them. You know, they, Anderson came in the game. Betts got a double, second and third. Anderson had a wild pitch. It was a disaster. Then Seager hits for Seager hit and you know brought in Betts, and then uh, they were able to get that two one. And then Betts hits a home run later in to make it three one. That's why it was weird. Betts was Betts. I, I would have almost given the MVP over Betts and Seager because in that key game six, I thought Betts had just the big hits, had the home run to make it three one, and then. 
the Dodgers, when they brought Urias in in the seventh, I said, he's finishing. Because that's what they did against the Braves. Yeah. They love to use, I mean, I, I criticize Roberts all the time, but he at least by this game, I realized who his best pitchers were. And even though they won this game with no starter, Gosselin started, they used, every, they used what, seven, seven pitchers in the whole game. They had five hits, one run, 16 strikeouts with seven pitchers. Not bad. I mean, that's amazing. It's like little league pitching all of it. But um, Urias came in, and when Urias, he was just lights out there those last three innings. So the Dodgers really played that well. But the Dodgers, to me, I when they say Cash is terrible, he's awful, but this team, the Rays, they did not ha- deserve to have the best record in baseball. They're, these players are they're, they're the 28th lowest payroll. I think Cash is a magician. He's the greatest guy in the world. He's he's like someone who, who's, you know, you give him five bucks and he has like a, a hand of like a million dollars and he loses some... He, I think it was tremendous. Like, I could not – if he, Cash got fired, you know, everyone would hire him. And, and yeah, and that is obviously not going to happen. And that's uh, – I'm sure that he was told to do that. Uh, you know, that's – like you said, this is the plan. This is what we do. It's what this team does. We – based off analytics, and we know that Blake Smell is uh, not the guy to be continuing with here. We like our odds um, with Anderson. Let, let's give this a shot here. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel at 725. I'm Mike Balsamo. So a lot of people, Ira, are very happy in New York right now. And they're Mets fans. And they've had to struggle. Not that they've had a poor amount of success. They were in a World Series half a decade ago. But they just famously do not spend money due to issues with the owner's finances. And now they're going to have the richest owner in baseball. And we talked about it earlier uh, uh, a while back. And it's not just free agents. It's are you spending it on scouting? Are you spending it on all the analytics and all the other things that teams have from the from the the, the Mets are known to just run their team like the Pirates. Yeah. Like they have no scouts. They have no computers. That The batting cages are terrible. Like everything about the Mets is terrible. It is a, it is a, is a team. The Wilpons bought into the team. They lost all their money when Madoff went out. They lost, they lost money in that. And since then, they have been running. They're treating the team like a mid-market team when they're in New York in a brand new stadium in Queens. Like there's no reason for them not to spend money when the Yankees year in and year out spend twice as much money as the Mets, which is a joke. And so, finally, Steve Cohn, who was the, the richest man, one of the what, 10 richest men in the world, and he has $18 billion, and now he'll be the richest man in baseball, and he buys the team valued at $2.4 guess $4 I love the fact that the Marlins, the Braves, and the Phils were one of the people. I was wondering who it was. I saw it was four teams. Four, I don't know who the fourth was. It was a secret. So there's a <laughs> Yankees, rumor who, maybe. But the Marlins, Braves, and Phils all voted against because Ooh, they're shocker. like, oh, we don't want to compete against someone <laughs> in that division. But, but, I, they, but I think that that is – it'll be exciting. It brings excitement down to back to baseball. He's been a lifelong. I like the fact that Cone, he's not just one of these investors on the team. He has been a lifelong Mets fan. He goes to every game or not ever, as many games he can. Yeah. You know, has been someone his whole, I, I just like that. Like, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to bring some passion into that. And I think it's going to be great. I think it's great for the Mets. Tell us about what happened with John Carlos Stanton today, because you were on one side of this. And I think the rest of the public kind of was on the other. I Well, no, I was on one side with the Yankees traded for him two years ago. I said, I think this is a great move for the Yankees. I think I might have said we we just started our, our show, and I said I think this is great because Stanton's going to be phenomenal, and the payrolls are going to be huge. Harper signed, you know, eventually I was right about payroll. Yeah. Harper signed three hundred and thirty million, Cole three hundred twenty four million, Machado three hundred million. Yeah. Now, and Stanton's contract was thirteen years, three twenty five, so it was sort of in that range. But he's still only thirty years old. He had come off hitting fifty nine home runs. He came to the Yankees, you know, I'm like he's going to hit 40, 50 home runs. He's going to be a thirty million player. He's going to be someone who will opt out at. 
30 and sign like a 10-year, another 10-year 300, like A-Rod did. That's yeah. how I remember. A-Rod signed two big contracts. He signed one for Texas, then he was at the, the Yankees. And remember, he opted out in the middle of the World Series. He announced he was going to opt out. He said grandstanding and all those things. And then they signed him again. So I thought Stanton was, but but you know, but of course he's had he didn't play last year, he didn't play this year, so it, his, his market value is not so high, and uh, so he opted in. Now he's owed seven years to about two hundred and eight million over the remainder of the deal. The Marlins do pay thirty million of that, so he's getting about thirty million, but he's not a thirty million dollar player now for seven years. But I thought he would opt out. Like I again, I'm totally mis. I want to admit when I'm totally wrong. I was wrong on this one. It, I, it, he's the perfect candidate now for load management. If we could get some of that working for him, I mean, he was good in the playoffs. It's just he can only play fifty games in the regular season, and that's just not what you're. Yeah, I, have a, I have a friend who who a big who tells me all the time. It's like I can't understand how these guys who play DH get hurt all the time. Crazy. It's like they're not in the field, they're not running around. They're he's not, not doing a fragile looking guy no. either. He's a he's a, a house, and he's still. Constant hamstrings, things like that. He just can't stay. And then the you field. saw in the playoffs how well he hits, and, yeah. and he's just a great hitter. And it just uh, hopefully it'll come together. From the Yankees, will get their act together and uh, and compete in the future. But I think, look, that's where I mean, you do not fire Keith Cash because of what happened because they beat the Yankees. And the, I mean, the fact that Aaron Boone still has a job—that's that's, that's yep. the last person who should have a job. He's someone who doesn't know analytics, trying to do it, <laughs> and it cost the Yankees down the stretch. Let's talk football, Ira. Big game tonight. Tampa Bay, who a lot of people think have a real shot at going to the Super Bowl, is going to face the woeful New York Giants. Ira, I'm not an unrealistic Giants fan. I know this is a bad team. I think this game is going to be closer than people think. And I'd probably take those points. And I, I feel great about the points. I feel like it's going to be a really close game for a while. Tom Brady's going to be Tom Brady, and they're going to win. But I don't think that the, this is going to be a blowout. Well, we last week you went with the Rams, I went with the Bears, and I was and everyone's like, Ira, stops, don't prognosticate anymore because that was stupid. I was terrible, but I I think the Giants are terrible. I I am just in are. love with I'm in love with Tampa Bay. I just love I love stars on teams that are produced. Like I don't want to see stars on teams that are producers. I love the fact that Brady is at MVP level, Gronkowski, Fournette, uh, Mike Evans. I just love this whole team. I just think it's great to watch them play. And their defense doesn't get enough credit either. They're right. very good on there's, the defense. There's side interesting the storylines in this game. So one of their star defensive linemen is Jason Pierre Paul, who remember <laughs> was a star giant lineman before he then from Pompano Beach, I think. Right, exactly. And who who got injured in Famously, the fireworks, yeah. the famous for the fireworks accident in terms of whatever. But the fact that Joe Judge, who's a Giants coach, was a special teams coach for the Patriots for eight years with Brady. And then when you're when you're playing, you're Brady and you're against the Giants, like the Giants could be 0 for 10. But remember, Brady would have eight titles if it wasn't yeah. for those two that the Giants took. So I don't care that. There's not one person on the Giants on that team. There's not there's no Eli Manning. There's no David Tyree. There's nobody on that. You know, there's no one, whatever. There's no Tom Coughlin. There's none of those players. But does Helmut still say Giants? And I think when Brady looks at it, he's like, I would have had two more titles of war for them. Absolutely, he does. But it should be a, I, but I do like, a good game I, I think the I think the, I think the Buccaneers cover by 12. You do think they cover? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I would definitely take those points. I think it'll be like a touchdown, maybe eight, nine-point game. Also, the Giants, one last thing, Giants are going to wear this classic, which I love. Yeah, it's the sharp. old classic Giants uniform. Like the YA Tittle uniform. Yeah. So that should be cool. It should be awesome. Um, you must have felt pretty good yesterday, Ira, because let's talk about your Steelers. They're another team that we're really thinking is in the hunt to win the, the Super Bowl. The Ravens outplayed you guys for a lot of it. They had some bad turnovers, and turnovers are always awful. But if you looked at just the Ravens' numbers on paper, you would think that they crushed the Steelers. But they didn't, and now the Steelers are 7-0. and 
Just a great start. First time since 1978, you know, and that's going way back in terms of when I was growing up loving the Steelers. Um, this team, I had high hopes going into this season, and they're just doing everything, and now they're winning these close games. Ben looks fantastic. I mean, there was a period of time in the game when Ben hurt his elbow a little bit. He was, he was sacked, and he went to the sidelines, and I was, like, concerned because you saw the team doctor looking at it. I'm saying, what? Well, but I, I was more relaxed because I talked to my friends who were doctors. Like, if it was a trainer looking at it, it's one thing, but the fact that the doctor's looking at it, he's probably just – a doctor's not looking at it that moment to mm-hmm. whatever. He's probably just saying, look, you're just checking out, make sure everything was great, uh, good with that. But – Going into this game, how about the fact that the Ravens and Steelers against each other had each scored 971 points? Talk <laughs> about an even series. Yeah. And, uh, but that, this was just, but Lamar Jackson, now it's amazing. You know, it's like prisoner of the moment. Lamar Jackson right now, like three he's weeks reeling. ago, everyone is like, he's the greatest. He's going to be MVP again. He's the greatest player in the world. And, but boy, the third play of the game, he throws a pick six to Robert Spillane, who came, was substituting for a Devin Bush. Um, for, was the first, do you realize this is the first pick six he ever threw? I, I can't. Didn't, I didn't know. They said that on the TV, and I'm like, I can't believe it. I Googled it, and no one well, wrote about he it. He probably only threw a handful last year, so. Yeah, I mean, it was just, but no, but he never threw a pick six yeah. in his life. And, and, and since oh, he's been at the Ravens, he's okay, never thrown yeah. a pick six, which it's uh, just so shocked by that. Um, how about they gave Ronnie Stanley in that one of the few plays against Ronnie Stanley gets a hundred and like twenty million hundred ten million dollar deal from the Ravens, and like in the middle of the first quarter he gets hurt, and now he's serious injury for mm-hmm. the rest of the year. So that was sad to see. I'm glad he got his money first before he got hurt, but still that would that hurt them a lot. But it was like one of those games where the Ravens got you know went up seventeen seven, and you're like. Okay, you know that you know as a Steeler fan, you're getting you're getting nervous. But and they totally that first half, they averaged um, in the first half the Steelers average uh, giving up like 104 yards a game, great against the run. But the Ravens had a hunt, three players do 50 yards rushing, and Ben was four for ten. I've been fantasy, so I'm well aware of his statistics. In the first half, he was four for ten for 24 yards. Four for ten for 24 Rough. yards. They only well, ran pick 20... sixes help <laughs> keep the numbers down. Right, but they only had uh, tw- they only had 20 plays, and the Ravens ran 45 plays. So you're like. You know what? This is just this is like not like one of these games where I think the Steelers were going to lose. And this is important. People want to understand that the Steelers now have a chance to get that one seed. And by beating the Ravens now, they're one game ahead of the Chiefs and now like one plus games against the Ravens. And if the Ravens lose again, that's, you know, that's like two games. So but then the second half, Ben Ebron, Eric Ebron has been, uh, you know, the tight ends for the Steelers play very important. And that touchdown pass that Ben threw him was classic. I mean, everyone getting the the, the uh, tight end involved. And Connor, you know, ran great. He, he ran for a touchdown. But, uh, you know, at the end of the game, it was one of those things where they, they, they ended up taking the lead uh, to go up 28-24 with seven minutes to go. And then the Ravens drew, you know, went down. They ran seven straight running plays. It was third and five on the 10 with 225 left. And you're like, okay, Lamar Jackson's just going to run it in. Okay, it, they're down four. There's a few minutes to go. Ben's going to get the ball. He's going to have his chance or whatever. He goes, he runs, and he got stopped. And yeah. then on fourth and three, they ran the same play again. He gets stopped again, and uh, he fumbled. And uh, they used their timeouts, and they had a chance sort of at the end at the end to try to score. Uh, T.J. Watt made a great play. But the fact that um, he turned the ball, had two fumbles, he had two – one fumble really didn't count so much, but, but actually two fumbles and two interceptions. Uh, Lamar Jackson, just a bad game. And, and now here's someone who dominates the league every other time they play but has lost to Kansas City twice, has lost to Tennessee in the playoffs, lost to the Steelers. It's like 
Lamar Jackson is... You know, I, He's not overcome adversity very well in these games. Yeah, you know, someone compared him... I, uh, Nick Wright compared him to... Who I don't like, whatever. But Nick Wright compared him to Giannis. I once saw him say he's Giannis because Giannis hasn't won in the playoffs. But there is an issue that Lamar Jackson against these elite teams has not matched. He shrinks. And he has not played well because he's really... In these big-time games, He there's, the Ravens are going to finish 14-2 and two or 13-3, and three, and they're going to dominate all these games. And then against the Steelers, they were able to... I think it was a great win because... But in the end, it was so close. It could have gone either way. Well, that, what you said about, you know, Lamar, and that has to be worrisome. It's one thing to just not win the game, Ira. It's another thing to have four turnovers in that game that you don't win. He could have a good game and still lose, and you don't think that's that so bad. But when he's giving up the ball on a go-ahead touchdown, that's an issue. How about Avery Williams, who went to bed 0-8 last night as a Jet. Now he wakes up. <laughs> now today he's 7-0 as a Steeler. That's a big pickup for you guys, too. Right. Well, they needed for to help with linebacker. I mean, that's one thing the Steelers do. They always bring in the Minka Fitzpatrick. Around this year, remember last year at this yeah. time, they brought Minka Fitzpatrick in. They got uh, Williams, I think, for a fifth-round pick. The Ravens had 457 yards to, two, to 221 for the Steelers, so they almost doubled the yards. They ran 80 plays. The Steelers only ran 50. And uh, But it was still, like, I think the Ravens, the four turnovers. And how about nine penalties for 110 yards? Like, you just cannot make those with their slot team make mistakes uh and it's just big humongous i can't tell you how big a win this was for the steelers just just amazing so you brought up minka fitzpatrick a moment ago and he was traded from the dolphins obviously they got a first round pick back for him trade probably worked out for both teams there miami played the rams yesterday i really liked miami in this game getting points at home team coming across the country what i was worried about ira was Tua Tagovailoa versus Aaron Donald. As this guy's first game in the league, Tua didn't look good, but he didn't have to do all that much because the Dolphins' defense came to play. <laughs> so I started in fantasy the Dolphins' defense, and it's if anyone follows fantasy, you know, we talk about fantasy all the time, but you get the special teams points, you get sacks, you get interceptions, you get returns. So my partner on my team lives in Las Vegas, so, like, I'm watching this game on my iPad, and I'm watching the Steeler game on the big TV, and then I had the red zone on another channel because yeah. I wanted to have the Steeler the sound. I didn't want to go to a bar to watch it all. So I had – so I'm behind in the Dolphin game, like – and so he calls me, and every time he goes, do we get points for this? Do we get, <laughs> knowing that we get points, but he's just, like, saying, do we get – because he's confused because he pretends to be this absentee general, general manager. And he goes, do we get points? And, like, every time he called me, I'm like, wait. I just see – like, he told me before it was happening. I'm looking, wait, is this a repeat? Yeah. Is this, are they showing this again? Is is this a highlight or is it the real one? Because all the Dolphins were doing was fumble returns, interceptions, punt returns for touchdowns, everything. I mean, it's just the, the Rams were a disaster, complete and utter disaster in that first half. And well, and, and good for them, good for the Dolphins because uh, it's a big win, but also to to kind of take the game out of your rookie quarterback, you know, his first start ever playing against uh, like the best offensive player in the league and to be able to like minimize that. Let's let's give you a nice buffer with some defensive and special teams they TDs. If people don't watch the game, the Finns were the Dolphins were up 28 to 7 and really Tua did nothing. Like there was nothing <laughs> to do. Like I think the one time they got the ball, like there's one time when the defense uh, Carl Van Noy ran down to the one got tackled and they had to run it in from the one yard line. It's like they couldn't even get a touchdown mm. on that. But uh, the punt return from touchdown was tremendous. Uh Yakeem Grant, that was just a great run and uh, the Carl Van Noy fumble and and what was the other who picked up the other fumble? Uh, Van Ginkle had a 78-yard return for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, the Rams, I had to criticize the Rams. Look, you give fumble the ball. Could you hustle after these guys? Like, <laughs> I've never seen such laziness after someone fumbles the ball. They just stood around. Like, they didn't care. Like, I'm not sold on the Rams at all when they have that type of pathetic performance. But how about in the second half? Talk about two is performance. Finns had the ball six times. First time, three plays, nine yards. Five plays, 15 yards. Three plays, four. Three plays, three yards. Six plays, 27. And six plays, 18. They get the 
See, 26 plays for 76 yards the entire second half. And, they did absolutely. And won by two scores. <laughs> they won by two scores. I mean, the stats, I just got to read. I, I, people, this is going to give you these stats. The, the Rams had 31 first downs. The Dolphins had eight. <laughs> First half of the game. The, the, the Rams, I've never seen a team run this. I don't think I've ever seen a team run 100 plays, but they ran 92 plays and the Dolphins ran 48 plays. They were out yarded with yards 471 to 145. That's almost like four to one. It's just unbelievable the fact that if you look at the stats and said, wait, how in the world do they? So, I mean, Tua had it. He was 12 for 22, 93 yards, one touchdown, got the win. Dolphins are four and three. But we didn't see anything that we, you know, except he, that could touch down he threw Devontae Parker. There's nothing about Tua except he fumbled the ball earlier in the game. There's nothing really exciting about Tua in that game. And I do love that, you know, some uh, other members of the media are coming out today and, like, Tua, is, that's it. He's not going to be able to do it. <laughs> Whereas three months ago, they were saying he's the number one overall pick. Forget Joe Burrow. People really quickly changed their minds. And I don't think it's time to throw out the towel on Tua well, we had after Andrew, one game. Right. And we had Andrew Catalano last week, and he said the same thing. The defense, the, Dol- the Dolphins defense is good. I mean, we're not, it's not the, and that's why I even started in fantasy. The defense, they might give up points, they might, but they are opportunistic. They are Brian op- Flores is doing an excellent job. They are an opportunistic defense. And in some say, oh, it's lucky, one game, turnovers. But no, when you're every game, they're getting these turnovers. Every game, they're getting interceptions. Every Xavier, you know, Howard in the secondary. Like, every game, they're making some sort of big play and and, and multiple plays. So I really think they're, like, I'm high on the Dolphins. Like, I think they really are doing it the right way. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I would not have put Tua in yet. I would have let Fitzpatrick roll until he had that half where he throws three interceptions at halftime. Okay, Tua. The Fitzpatrick run is over. We know what we're going to get from here. But I would have tried to make a playoff run. They they could be the best team in the division if they get a win or two over the Bills. Um, let, let's go to New England and Buffalo. I don't know. I mean, Bill Belichick came out today. Cam's still my quarterback. Bill Belichick hates turnovers, especially turnovers close to the goal line, especially when they could be game winners. Cam's just not looking good, I read. And I don't know what the solution is there. Bill's going to win, but they didn't look that great in this game either. Josh Allen has not played well the last After few After those first five, six no, weeks. No, we had Josh Allen as MVP I and was. everything. <laughs> and both, now the weather was terrible. And as someone said, don't start anyone in fantasy the weather. But it wasn't like, like I turned, I heard about how bad this weather was supposed to be in Buffalo. And like I expected that we've seen worse. I mean, we've seen snowstorms, whatever. So yeah. I don't want to hear that this is like the worst. The fact I think what hurt the, the, the Patriots more is they have no wide receivers. Edelman is out. Nigel Harry's out. I mean, when you know There's wide receivers, it's, it's really hard to hard to do. But I, didn't, I was not impressed with the fact that New England has the ball, the driving at the end of the game, um, and Cam Newton is, is has the ball on the five-yard line with 21 seconds with the ball with a chance to score on that play. You know, if he would have just turned the other way, they would have scored. And they were saying Cam Newton's great, whatever. He fumbles the ball. and yeah. But the worst thing about that fumble is that it, even if they were stopped, they could they were they, it would put it in overtime. But you're only on the five-yard line. Right? Yeah. You can The fact that he fumbled was terrible terrible fumble um, and just an awful now New England's at two and five and they've lost can you imagine New England Patriots have lost four in a row it's like you can't even fathom that in a mind probably the early 90s and the Dolphins are four and three and that's where the Dolphins have this chance I think the Dolphins have a very good chance to make the playoffs you mentioned about Fitzpatrick they really are no one no one thought that New England was just to implode like this and not be even competitive I mean they're, they've, they've, they have uh, two more wins than the Jets <laughs> it, it does go to say you know we got to talk about the Bills too like you said bad weather but this team this is like a high school team once you get rid of the edelman's gilmore's and kill harry there's not much there the bills it's it's a division game so i'll let it go if this was an out of conference game that this happened in i, I wouldn't i I'd, I'd be really overlooking the bills um speaking of bad weather saw a lot more of that when las vegas played cleveland 
Yeah, it was like one of those games where Carr was through for 120. Like these are high school stats. Like Carr, <laughs> 15 for 24, 112 yards. Baker Mayfield, 12 for 24 for 122 yards. I mean, when your quarterbacks combine, only combined for 230 yards, that uh, means nothing. But, you know, the Browns are missing weapons. Now, Odell Beckham Jr., no Nick Chubb. And uh, this is the game. We talk about quarterbacks all the time. Let's, we're going to talk about running backs a little this week. And I think I'm going to give love to Josh Jacobs. 31 He's carries, 128 yards. Uh, and they had 200 yards rushing. But it was like Josh Jacobs is proving from Alabama. We're going to talk about Najee Harris when we get to, if we get time to talk about college football. But what a what a just a great running back. And it, this is a win. Look, we, I think the Raiders have played well this year. They're four and three, but their schedule has been tough, and they've been in really a lot of big games and playing the Chiefs and everything like that. So I, they're like to me, they beat the Browns. They're four and three. The Browns are five and three. I would much. I think the Raiders are. Definitely a better four and three than the Browns five and three. I will agree wholeheartedly on that one. Um, another division matchup here to the NFC North: Green Bay and Minnesota. Gotta be really disappointed if you're Minnesota. I mean, if you're a Green Bay fan, after just Minnesota had their way with you. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things again. Like two weeks ago, you watch Minnesota, Minnesota just sold all their players. <laughs> they, sold, they gave them. They 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 traded away everything. They they were uh, one and five going to this game, which I and, and then two weeks ago. We watched them against Atlanta. They get blown out. They only rush for 32 yards in a game. Now, Dalvin Cook from Florida State, we know how great he is at Florida State. He's He comes in. They give him the ball. They, they said he's going to be in a pitch count. He might carry the ball 10 or 15 times. <laughs> he carried the ball 30 times for 163 yards and three touchdowns. And he had 63 yards receiving for another touchdown. He's the first. How about this stat? I, another these stats, I couldn't I believe this when I heard it. First player to score a touchdown on the team's four, for, first four possessions. That's unheard of. I can't believe that. I couldn't believe that didn't happen. So, and he's the first player to ever have 200 yards and four touchdowns at Lambeau Field. And really, the 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 the, you know Kirk Cousins threw 14 passes the entire game. The 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 Vikings didn't have to do anything. And just like the Green Bay defense just could not stop the run and let Cook do whatever he wanted. It's it's great. You know, I love that because I don't like to watch. I like to see football where you do have the running rather just throw the ball 65 times a game. So I do like the fact that it was interesting. And and Minnesota, and people are saying they're criticizing Minnesota, like oh well. Well, whatever, but I'm gonna tell you the thing: they can still make the playoffs. I, they're not totally out of this play. Two and five. I mean, there's still nine games left, and they could go like seven and two or eight and one. And they're talented enough to do that. So I'm yeah. not sold that they're not gonna. They have no shot. And people say, oh, they should have lost on purpose, and that no. they're not losing on purpose. Speaking of throwing the ball 65 times a game, it seems like that's what uh, Cincinnati's asked Joe Burrow to do. And Ira, every week, this kid just impresses me even more. And uh, the same story from Tennessee's past. Well, they, they can crush some teams, then they lose random games at teams that have no business beating them. They weren't even in this game. I mean, no. that was what's so weird about you're watching that. I was watching, you know, as we we're following the highlights, and we're like, where's Tennessee going on this? Like, what's happening in this game? And, um, you know, the one thing about Burrow, the one little thing is like last year in January, I went to the National Championship game, and uh, Trevor Lawrence is thrown to T. Higgins. I love T. Higgins, mm-hmm. great. And Joe Burrow is playing for LSU, and they're, he's the star. And now they're combined. <laughs> like, one is LSU, the LSU quarterback, and the Clemson wide receiver and they are on the same page Higgins had six catches 78 yards looks great really emerging as another one of those great rookie wide receivers and Burrow is the real deal I mean it's like he is so he's oh just it just shows you that you get a player like that at the quarterback and it works it really just like in there again two five and one but I would love to be two and five one of the Bengals and that's you got to be happy oh (laughs) I'm telling you it's just like it's one of those things where they can be better than the Browns like it could be with (laughs) Burrow at the quarterback. But um, it was just, again, you know, you're sold. I think Tennessee and and Buffalo, they both played that Thursday night game. And, and, uh, but it was, 
you just don't know where each one's going. And Tennessee now five and two. This is a bad loss for Tennessee. You can't you can't be Tennessee and say I'm going to be this elite team. I'm going to go to the Super Bowl and then lose this game. You just cannot lose to Cincinnati in a game like this and then play poorly. If you had to pick right now between Joe Burrow and last year's number one Kyler Murray, who would you take to lead your franchise? Don't tell me that. Don't ask me that question Why? because I'm too much of a Kyler Murray fan. I love him. <laughs> Come on. I I, I I was I, I was that way too. But I'm, after watching Burrow every week now, I'm starting to change I, my mind. I now. absolutely I absolutely love them. You know the one thing about Cincinnati, they won the game and Joe Nixon, their star running back, he was injured. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also like remember we told this story last year about Car- week Carlos Dunlap when they at, at, at the game, he said, "I'm you know they ask him what's your comment on the game." He goes, "My apartment's available. It's this month. This is how much." <laughs> he was like giving you like a real estate agent, and they the Bengals told Carlos Dunlap, "You can stay home. You don't have to come for the game. Stay home today. Don't don't show up." <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we, we're running out of time here. Seven forty eight. Iron Sports Truelty Channel. Patrick Mahomes. This is like this is like a video game cheat code at this point. I. Well, you know, he hadn't really had a game like this this year, but the 416 yards, five touchdowns. Bring on the Jets. <laughs> bring on the Jets, and it's just, that's the way to go. And, just, and it was a, the Kansas City was a 20-point favorite in the game, and a lot of people were betting the Jets because when you're those 20-plus favorites, they they are actually under. I think it's like 8-16 and 16 with 20-point favorites, and they won by 26. So it, was, uh, it just shows that uh, how bad the Jets are, and Sam Darnell, and it just the team is just a mess. And from the Jets' perspective, look, the Jets are 0-8. But they have to worry about Houston at one and six, Jacksonville at one and six, and the Giants at one and six. They're all for Trevor. You know, like who? Like you look at those teams. And like you, you got to still beat. You got eight more games to lose, and they're going to be maybe double digit underdogs in every game. Any other game you want to touch on here before we got to move on? Uh, well, you know, I'll tell you what. The game that Andrew Catalan, the Indianapolis Detroit game that he was at, we had him on the show last yeah. week. In the Indy, sneaky five and two. Uh, yeah, that didn't realize that, that's five and two. unbelievable. And and I felt like they played really really well. Philip Rivers, he has some bad games and whatever, but played well this game at three touchdowns 262 yards and uh i I felt like it was a situation where the colts play great um the game of the day denver chargers uh poor chargers fans oh denver and drew lock like he was again terrible the first half not doing anything comes in down 14-3 through like a yard like almost like there was almost a Steeler game and comes back and the final play of the game he throws that i love when you win on the final play i thought that was great that he won the final play and uh New Orleans, Chicago was crazy. The fact that in the end, New Orleans, in the game, Chicago was, again, blown out. Nick Foles waits for the fourth quarter to try to make that great comeback, mm-hmm. and he did. Sends it to overtime, but they're not able to, to, to complete it. Um, but uh, we don't have to talk about Philadelphia and Dallas. Anybody? I tell no, you what. No, please don't. You know what? The funny, I'm going to just mention Philadelphia and Dallas for a second. I had five people text me, this is the worst game I've ever seen. Like, that's, like it's people that aren't related to each other, they just are texting me, like, is this the worst game you've ever seen, Philadelphia, again? That. Like it's like if you think these names is like great, and they're trying. NBC is like this is such an exciting game. Sunday yeah, night nice football. This and that. They got to start flexing NFC East team games out of primetime games. <laughs> well, Ira. put like Alabama games instead. I don't know. <laughs> it does stand to be mentioned uh, a lot of injuries in that 49ers game. Yeah. So that yeah, they're going to be without maybe Jimmy G and Kittle for the rest of the season, and uh, of of course uh, Russell Wilson rolled them. What games are we watching next week? Um, we got Thursday night Green Bay at San Francisco. Now with all their players missing, probably misses. There's not going to be that juice in that game without uh, yeah. Jimmy G at quarterback. Uh, Miami's playing at Arizona now. Chance for Dolphins to watch Kyler Murray. You know how high on I'm on, on the Arizona. It's going to be a great test for Tua. Uh, Seattle's at Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore tough game against Indianapolis. Like Baltimore, let's see this could this loss to the Steelers could totally we're going to you know because Indy's playing well. That's going to be a very exciting game to see. And Carolina at Kansas City. I want to see a Carolina. You know how Kansas City is. They're going to have another big huge win. 
uh, and Pittsburgh's at Dallas. So it's all that's a huge <laughs> name of a game, and that should be a big game. But Dallas is starting the fourth string quarterback for University of Pittsburgh, so it's not really that big. Yeah, Pittsburgh big, uh, defense on your team because that's going to be a big. And scoring I might game. go look. There's a chance. This is a game I'm thinking about going to. I'm, you know, I talk about going to games all the time. New Orleans at Tampa Bay. In Tampa Bay, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, I might, Sunday yeah. night, I might go to that game. I don't blame you. Okay. College football, um, let's talk about this. And uh, I know your guys were out there this weekend. Penn State, well, 0-2. And, and this was our chance to finally see Ohio State play. And Ohio State made the statement. It's like, yeah, we're going to be in the, we're gonna be in the uh, college football playoffs. I mean, that clearly said. I mean, everyone heard about Ohio State, how good. And you get confused with the opt-in, opt-outs, this and that. But Justin Fields has been <laughs> through the roof amazing. Uh, he's for the, he, he was uh, 28 for 34, 318 yards, four touchdowns. For the year, he has missed, he's had seven incompletions, six touchdowns and zero interceptions. So he's had more, as almost as many touchdowns as he has incompletions. But it was one of those games that Penn State, like they, hung, they were so blown out in that first half. Um, but I got to give, I got to give Penn State credit for hanging in there at least. But, and Jahani Dotson, if anybody just Google Jahani Dotson, the catch he made. Odo Beckham Jr., this blows away his play. He had a play on the sidelines where he was turned around, one-handed catch, and he scored a touchdown on it and fell in the end zone. And then he had another catch before that. He had two, he, his day was amazing. I mean, Penn State has had great wide receivers. Allen Robinson, you see Kyle, KG Hamler, who went for Denver, on the, who had the touchdown. But Jahani Dotson, the, the, he had eight catches, 144 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, just one of those things where it was, but again, Ohio State was just dominant. You never thought, I mean, as much as the score was like 38-25 and they were sort of in the game a little bit, you just never felt that Penn State had a chance. And this is a rivalry that I wrote an article, if you go on Iron Sports on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, I, I posted this uh, about like by going to the Penn State, Ohio State, the history. Because in 16, Penn State won 24-21 a block field goal. 2017, Ohio State was down 11 with five minutes to go. And Penn State had a win percentage of 90%. They came back and won the game. In 2018, back in Penn State, uh, they were down uh, 12 with eight minutes to go and came back and won the game against Penn State. And that's where uh, James Franklin goes, we're a great team. We're just not an elite team. And everybody Chris, <laughs> like, whoa, don't get so – don't say you're a great team. You know, like whatever. And then they end up losing like the next week. <laughs> but um, just a, just a, it's like one of those things where now you're 0-2. You have six more games left in the season for Penn State. And Ohio State looks fantastic. What else happened in the Big Ten? Um it's weird. You know, everything's breaking the way for Ohio State. Minnesota isn't that good a team. Like, everyone thought Minnesota was going to have everybody back. They were going to be great. And Tua's brother, Talia Tagalova for Maryland, had almost 400 yards passing for a big win over Maryland, Minnesota, who's now 0-2. And then everyone thought, well, Michigan looked great that first week. They they look, Michigan beat Minnesota, and Michigan State lost to, to Rutgers. <laughs> it was crazy. And the Michigan State comes in and uh, and beats Michigan. So that was, again, a big surprise. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was criticizing him. Again, why can't you beat Ohio State? Why can't you beat Michigan State? Why can't you beat, win these big games? Uh, and that was, I mean, Michigan State had five passing plays over 30 yards. Like one of those weird type of games for Michigan State. Again, it's, it's the weird type of schedule that we have. Uh, and then Indiana is now 2-0 behind and beat Rutgers 37-21. But really, the Big Ten, was with Wisconsin having their two games canceled was because of COVID, um, the Big Ten is really shaping up as Ohio State. So let's go to the ACC. So Trevor Lawrence was not able to play due to COVID-19, but you're still a little bit 
worried. Not, I don't want to say worried, but Boston College should not be hanging around six points behind Clemson. I don't care who's at quarterback because I hear the backup is might be even a bigger prospect than Trevor Lawrence well, today. Boston College is up 28-10 in the first half. And I'm like, wow, 28-10? Like how you're watching the game and I was in and out watching this game. And then you're like, what happened to Clemson defense? Like Clemson defense really was a good, but they stepped it up. They didn't give any more points in the second half. And DJ Olagali. Uh, who is the top pocket quarterback, who will be the star at Clemson next year. So when the yeah. Clemson's playing for the national championship, he's going to be the quarterback. Like Kelly Bryant was the quarterback, and then Trevor Lawrence eclipsed him. I don't think he's going to eclipse Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence does his job. But he's a really good quarterback. And that made the announcement that he's, that Trevor's not going to play for the Notre Dame. But I still, I, I like Clemson against Notre Dame. I still think they're a phenomenal team. And remember, Travis Antienne, He's like the the Camara Camara of the uh, of Clemson. Uh, Eighty four yards rushing, a touchdown, seven catches for one hundred forty yards. Just he's one of the best running backs I've ever seen in college football. Clemson has Clemson will beat Notre Dame in Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence. Oh, I, I, I'm I'm agreeing with you there, but they have to play good. But Notre Dame played good this week. Yeah, they beat Georgia Tech thirty one thirteen. Ian Book played well, and it's going to be it, look, Clemson's number one, Notre Dame's number four. It's going to be on Saturday night. It's a great game to watch. I wish Trevor Lawrence was in the game, but it's one of those things where you had a ten day COVID window. Whatever it was, gonna, it was just too close for it to come back. And I, you know, for Trevor's perspective, I just hope he still has a chance to win the Heisman. And I, I just, I really think Clemson's winning this game. So it's not going to be an issue where they lose and have to win again. I think Clemson's just they're a better team. Yeah. And uh, by the way, Trevor Lawrence no longer the Heisman Trophy, uh, Heisman Trophy favorite um, after missing this game. Funny how fickle, <laughs> fickle the betting public goes with stuff like that. I've been saying North Carolina, I'm not buying into them. And what happened this week? They ended up losing again to Virginia. So it was like a. A mess in terms of what I, you're right. North Carolina is not that great a team, and and but they do have like good quarterback, two good running backs, and they have upsets and wins. But now they're they're it's just it's one of those things where Miami is sitting at five and one. Can Miami put themselves in a position where they're I going? So. Yeah, where they're <laughs> going to play for the title again? I mean, this is could be where, where they where they can they're, they're not going to eclipse Clemson, but their goal is like we want to be the Clemson. Well, there's a lot of things they have to do to be <laughs> to be better than Clemson as a program. But right now, where the where the ACC is with Notre Dame, whether they're in they're out, Miami could look coming next year as like the second best team in the ACC. So I talked about Trevor Lawrence no longer being the Heisman uh, favorite. The new favorite is Mac Jones at Alabama, and this is the guy you're high on. I don't understand Mac Jones because I don't understand why no one talks about him. He's 6'3". Like, I'm like... Is there a reason why he's not a pro prospect? Because maybe he's too too small, but he's 6'3", 214. He reminds me of Joe Burrow. Like, here's a guy yeah. who was like, oh, he's okay, he's this, he's that, he's whatever. And last year he comes in, two is hurt. And then you watch Mac Jones, and, I'm, and I keep telling everyone, I'm like, I watch the Alabama games. His throws are amazing. They're right on. I mean, he was 24 for 39, 300 yards, four touchdowns. It just, and Devontae Smith, their wide receiver, 11 catches for 203 yards and four touchdowns. But it was just, I love Love how he plays. Najee Harris is a great running back, and they blow out Mississippi State, forty-one to nothing. I think Alabama, everything's coming together for Alabama. Their defense, their offense, and when you see what Clemson's struggling and, and the other teams, I mean, I really like, I really like Alabama. Like, I think this is shaping up. I mean, they, they're by far the best team in the SEC. So the point is, can Ohio State beat them? Can Clemson beat them? But Alabama's going to be playing for the national championship. Just a few minutes left. And what else is going on in the SEC? Georgia had a win, but again, Georgia doesn't look good. They beat Kentucky 14-3. Florida looked great against Missouri. Kyle Trask. Now, here's another person who is one of the Heisman Trophy. Potential odds. winner. 356 yeah. odds, 345 yards, four touchdowns. I was just talking to someone. He goes, why was he behind Felipe Franks last year? Yeah. Like, if you watch <laughs> Felipe Franks and watch Kyle Trask, Kyle Trask might be now 
putting himself in the top 10 picks in the NFL draft and Felipe Franks is not going to be one of the top 10 picks. Like, what was what, were, what was Dan Mullen thinking last year and losing games that he lost? Like, like again, what, what somebody's like, when Joe Burrow was behind, like, what are you thinking? Like, this guy is good. Put him in there. And uh, Kyle Pitts, their wide receiver, tight end wide receivers. Oh, he's... He's a be, beast. Yeah, I mean, someone said, is he better than Aaron Hernandez? He's the best tight end in, in, in Florida since then. But this shapes up for Florida-Georgia this week. I'm t- I like Florida in that game. I just don't think Georgia has – their offense is a mess. Uh, Stetson Bennett, their quarterback, is just not the real deal. And I, I think Florida's going to run away from that game. I'll take Florida as well. I want to wrap up college football. What else you got? Um, really, I was going to say is next week the Pac-12 starts. So we're finally going to see how good. Now, the team to watch is Oregon. So Saturday night, Stanford's at Oregon at 730. And that's the team that's going to try to get the coach of a playoff. Only one. So that's the team people are talking about. If Oregon runs through the Pac-12, they'll play seven games. If they do, they'll probably be in the playoff. And what about uh, we got to see some UFC over the weekend? Well, Anderson Silva, who has been he's 45 years old. He's the former middleweight champion of the world. He's held the title for 2,000, 2,446 days uh, from 2006 to 2013. 16 defenses. I saw his loss against Chris Weidman in 2013 when he broke his leg oh, in, the, in the back. And since then, he's fought. So here's this great fighter who's known to never lose at this great record. But he really has only won one time. And this is probably his last fight because he got uh, Uriah Hall in the first two rounds. And Silva fought great. The first two rounds, he's like, great, great, great. But then Uriah gets him down on the third round and starts pounding him, saved by the bell. Silva was saved by the bell in the, fourth, in the, in the second round and then in the, in the third round. And in the fourth round, it's just over. I mean, they, I mean, they stopped it. He's bleeding. It's terrible. And Dana White said, I'm never going to have Silva. Like, he's a legend. He's great. He's 45 years old. I'm never going to fight again. That's it. He's never fighting the OC. So you're going to see Khabib and Silva, two of the great, two arguably the two top three, four fighters of all time, both retired within a week of each other. Yeah, it's uh, tough for the sport. You're loving auto racing. Oh, no, come about a sport, on. Huh? I love Formula <laughs> One. I don't know what's happening. I'm like 100 years old, and I finally got into Formula One. But I love watching it. It's a perfect sport. It's an hour and a half long. It's like I just like Lewis Hamilton. I like the, the strategy that they use. I'm start, I get into it more than I get into NASCAR, and I want to be honest. Like I think it's really cool to watch how they pit. Like Hamilton is such a good driver because he like he knows how to, to work the field and knows how to like wait and does everything differently than everybody else and takes advantage of it. And they say, oh, he's has the best car and the best equipment and this but he's such a good driver and you just see how when he drives around these courses and everyone else seems to have trouble everyone else has a problem with their cars everything else has this hamilton one that won again uh and he's now convinced now he's in a situation where if he like probably doesn't crash his next four races he's going to win his seventh title uh for the most titles ever won in in formula one tiring michael schumacher and what about uh, nascar i'm going to criticize for as much as i like formula one nascar so we talked about Kevin Harvick the whole year. So Kevin Harvick's won nine races. And this is what I hate what they did. They used to have when Richard Petty ran and Dale Hernhardt. If you won the most races, you had the most points, you win. You win the title. That's Makes how NASCAR. But then they started this playoff series, and they think it adds so much juice to the sport. And I don't think it adds juice. Because I do not think that a driver who won nine races this year was by far, if you watch these races, the most dominant. Because he has, in the second heat, a bad flat tire in this one race, suddenly now is knocked out of the final mm-hmm. race in, in Phoenix. So in Martinsville, he had a problem, and and so he's now, so it's going to be Denny Hamlin, Brad Kozlowski, uh, Elliott, and Logano. Now, Harvick's won nine wins. Hamlin won seven, Kozlowski four, Elliott four, Logano three. So you can combine Kozlowski, Elliott, and Logano, and they have one more win than Harvick, and he's not going to be in the playoffs and can't win the title when he... 
I just think it's a joke. I'm really against the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know some – the two NASCAR fans agree with me, but I just – I think it's ridiculous. So, Ira, we're one week away from the Masters week starting up. We'll have a tournament in uh, just about 10 days, and this is what everybody waits for. You know what's so funny? I, when I walked over here, I walked out, and I said to someone, what are you doing? I go, I'm going to my Sports Talk radio show. And the, um, what he asked me goes, who's winning the Masters? Like, really? unbelievable. Like, out of the blue. Like, he goes, who's winning the Masters? And I'm hearing that. I cannot wait. Do you, and you realize what they did next Sunday? So CBS is going to play. The, it, it's going to be such an exciting weekend. And I just, because you know how I love how football is done and how TV is done. They're going to have the Masters on Saturday during the day. And then they're going to go LSU Alabama at 6 o'clock. So the Masters ends on Saturday. Then you get LSU Alabama. Then what are you going to do on Sunday? They're going to start the Masters like at 9 and 10 or 11, so whatever. They're going to run it to like the leaders are going to tee off like around 12, or 11 or 12. Run it to 4. And they're not going to have any CBS games at all. Now they're going to have the Fox games on. But none of the none of the CBS games are going to be on until 4 o'clock. And they're going to play. So that day you're going to have a huge lot of games at 4 o'clock because of the, the light you know like it's not gonna be dark i think that's so cool that they figured that out i cannot wait they, they it was a very good idea what are we watching this week um well i, I just think it's i think the football this weekend is going to be exciting the florida georgia game on saturday is just it's just a must-see type of game i think at that and then you have that's at 3 30 then you got alabama i mean sorry the uh notre dame clemson game at night and it's got some good football games i, I i'm I, you know i'm just pumped for all this football and you're going to see like you're wondering, wondering what's on a wednesday the max starts to play so the max said we're not going to play on saturdays we're just going to put our schedule on wednesday and thursday <laughs> from now on like so i told you you're going to have wednesdays off and not football i think the only day in the week there's no football is two Tuesdays now. They're going to play football week around. And if we get a COVID exemption, you might get football seven days a week for the first time <laughs> but, ever. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's great. I think they've really played this well. And as baseball ends and these other sports come in, we, and we got the, oh, we got the, the Breeders' Cup as we talked to Gary Stevens earlier. Yeah. And we have the Breeders' Cup on Saturday at six o'clock. So we are out of time. Thank you so much to Gary Stevens who popped by. He's always a great guest. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.